to yeah. Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast where we reflect and dissect the movies of the past 10 years. I'm your host, Jack Draper. With me is my co-host, Clay Williams. Am I the favorite? Like, out of the two of us, I feel like I'm the favorite. Are you Honestly. the Rachel Vice to my Emma Stone, or vice versa? Which one's, which one's less evil or conniving? Oh, Rachel Vice, Easy. Mm, yeah, but... Yeah. So, but wait, who, I, I guess I was also asking which one of us is less evil and conniving. Because um, I don't know. You You're pretty evil. I am pr- I'm very devious. Um, certainly, I'm trying to take control of power, but... Um, mm-hmm. You're very yeah. ambitious. I'm very <laughs> yeah, certainly. Yeah. All right, that's it. Mm. I think we're done. <laughs> yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, please remember to, to uh, rate, review, subscribe. Yeah, no. Um, we're, we're talking the favorite today. Yes, we are. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Imagine if like 100%. we didn't know that, like we were just told. We had no idea. Yeah. We're just like I was just very curious about who one of us like who's really the favorite. Mm. Um, and who are we trying yeah. to obtain power from? Who is our Queen Anne? Uh, I'm stumped. Okay. Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> Wow, okay. Woof. Not gonna go there. Fine. That's fair. That's fair. It's this kind of it's that kind of podcast. Yeah. Um and with us today is uh Salador Griffin and Andrew Van Hoos. Hi. Hello. Yeah. (laughs) How's it going? (laughs) Andrew, who do you think is who do you think is Emma Stone and who do you think is Rachel Weiss out of the two of us? Ooh. Um, between the two of us, I don't know, but I was about to say I think I'm the favorite in Club C47. I don't know what you think. Ooh. Oh my god. <laughs> Actually, I would say so. <laughs> Actually, I, no, I'm kidding. This might be me just like okay, well, because we know you're a Hufflepuff and I'm a Gryffindor, so I do think that you're probably like the more um, peaceful one out of the two of us. So I. Do- think that I'm probably the more evil one, also because I can be aggressive and bitchy sometimes, so I think I'm the Emma Stone. <laughs> I think I'm more of the Nicholas Holt character. Yeah. I'm more Harley. And then you can be um, <laughs> Joe, Joe, Allen. Allen. Yeah. Joe Allen's character. That can be you, Saladar. <laughs> Wait. Okay, cool. <laughs> Jack, you, are, you have no idea what... You have no knowledge of Harry Potter. What house, without... Without even thinking about it, what house are you in? Are you in Gryffindor? No, you got to answer this. Ravenclaw? Slytherin? How do you not have any knowledge of Harry Potter? He has none. Not a single thing. Like, you do you even know what those know are? I think they are, like, house, they're houses. Do you Wait, think I'm they're actually so physical can... houses? Do you think they're, like, brick-and-mortar houses? They're not, think... like, college frats? They're... <laughs> Okay, I mean, yeah, that's close. Yeah, that's, that's close enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be in a fraternity for Hufflepuff. So, which one are you, Jack? Just out of all of those. Uh, I think Gryffindor is the most popular, so I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> that's the one I've do heard we, the most. Do we want to comment? Do we want to say whether he's right or wrong? Than me, so, what do you think? If, if, for him being a Gryffindor? 
or just any house. So where would you place him? Oh, where would I place Jack? I think Jack would be a Ravenclaw. Hmm. I could see that. Yeah. I, I think I would put I would put Jack as a Ravenclaw. What about you, Clay? What house are you? Oh, uh, Ravenclaw maybe. What, I, I'm just trying to think what house because for Jack, like he never gets angry. What house like is like has the least aggression? That would definitely be like. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think it's 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 what you strive to be rather than what you are. That's what the houses mm-hmm. are meant to be. And I think Jack has a lot of good knowledge, and I think he strives to have more knowledge as he, we get into these podcasts. So I would definitely put him in a Ravenclaw. Yeah, nice. I agree. I agree. Nice. Yeah. I need to take a quiz. One of those quizzes. I've never done that. Probably should. One of those, so this like, is a definitely how is part two podcast. Um. So <laughs> wait, why part why why part two? Isn't that the most the highest grossing one? And that's the last yeah. one, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I guess okay. that's just where my my mind went. Okay. The favorite. <laughs> yes, Harry. It's, it's Harry Potter related. I don't know. Imagine if Yorgos made a Harry Potter. Fucking a. Oh my gosh! Imagine. That would be a, a choice. Yorgos, I think, would work really well with Radcliffe. Since I think. Oh, you're so okay. So you're not talking about like a spinoff. You're talking about like Harry Potter. I mean, at first I was talking about Harry Potter, like he just made a Harry Potter movie, but then I got to thinking like Radcliffe and Yorgos just in a separate, their own thing po- project. That would be an interesting um, duo. I th- yeah. I can see it. I, I just don't. I don't think he would. I don't know. I don't know if he would. What Yorgos wants to do? He's a weird cat. He is, but I mean, he likes to use movie stars. Like a like a rag doll almost like he just shapes them in the way that he that he I mean look at Colin Farrell he just uses them like like a robot. Has he had a bona fide movie star in his movie? Uh, well Nicole Kidman in Sacred Deer. I guess I don't uh, even know what movie stars are anymore because I don't even know if I would. John C. Riley in The Lobster. No, he's not a movie star. All right, well, I mean, I like, like Emma Stone a, is a big one. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. out of all of them, Emma Stone kind of has to be it because yeah. she's just I so feel like popular. Every single generation knows, like, my mom knows Emma Stone, my grandmother, I do, like, people younger than us. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. if they're a household name, maybe that's what a movie star maybe is. Maybe you could Someone say intergenerational. Mm, no, I because. I wouldn't necessarily say it's an Oscar winner, but more of like Emma Stone has been a like a, a someone that we especially have grown up with, where we've seen her in a lot of films, like Easy A or House Bunny, to name Super a few. Bad. And so, seeing Yorgos take Emma Stone and transform her into a a villain is something a little different we haven't seen before with her. So I think that's kind of what makes her stand out is her ability to transform. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because, like, especially yeah, in this. I, yeah. It's also, like, the idea of her character. Like, Emma Stone is known, is never really known to be, like, nasty or whatever. Or, like, she's known to be this kind of, like, gentle, nice person and who has, like, who's morally right in almost all yeah. of her movies. Whether, but, like, sometimes she does play, like, complicated people. I mean, a lot of times she plays complicated people, but usually she's, like, an overall good person. 
And Abigail kind of starts the movie like this, like that. Like, she starts like the traditional Emma Stone character, and then Yorgos changes her, and she also changes herself into something much more sinister. I think that's why it works, like, casting her, is because she's always the kind of girl, like, I would want to be friends with her in real life, which I think a lot of people think the same thing about Emma Stone, like, in the same vein as someone like Jennifer Lawrence, like, you just, you would like to go to dinner with them. So I think casting her in a role where it's like, you initially root for her, and then even though she is evil, you still kind of want to root for her. Um, I don't know, I like it. (laughs) The sympathy certainly shifts throughout where you, like Clay said, you start out rooting for Abigail, and then once she becomes less and less morally right, that's when you're, like, reassessing uh, Sarah. You know, like, I think the the kind of companionship she serves to Anne is is more healthy. Yeah, where do you you guys think the, the pivot is? with this character like when you like feel like you guys as an audience start to realize that she is more evil i'm curious well i kind of want to get away from calling her me personally i don't i because i I feel like evil might be a little that's fair i don't know because it i think the reason i think she's I think she just, yeah, she's calculated, but she also, she's doing this so she can just be safe again. And whether, like, whether it be financially, physically, emotionally, she just wants to retain that sense of normalcy. Um, I don't Maybe. know. I, the moment that I think of is when she's in the hallway after she picked the herbs and stuff and the queen is being wheeled down the hallway and then she like coughs or sneezes, and then it's like, oh, sorry, like I caught cold. You the herbs. That to me is like the moment. I don't know. I was thinking the same exact moment, Salidar, and I think maybe maybe a better word's manipulative. Because yes, I, I would agree. Because I think you're right, Clay, where she's not necessarily evil, but she's trying to do whatever she can, and she's willing to manipulate the hierarchy in order to get what she wants. Yeah, and she's also just been fucked over all her life, and now she wants to do some of the fucking over. Mm. I think that's, like, another thing. It's just, like, she's been manipulated, she's been thrown around, she's been at the mercy of others, so she finally wants actual power and control over her own life. Um, now, she does it, and re- and it results in some really shitty things, but still, I think, I think there is, like, an actual character motivation that you can sympathize with or understand, but maybe not uh, approve yeah and the the scenes where they're shooting the the birds it almost acts like a three-act play showing mm-hmm. who holds the power in the movie almost like a check-in um and they'll say they'll say things like uh, that are kind of on the nose but it still really works um because it's it's like a uh intermission i guess yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think there's, you can see this, there's just like little scenes here and there that kind of show you the overall progression of the story and just little, I mean, also like Yorgos' script, um, and also he co-wrote this with. It's this not his script. Oh, he's just, he didn't write it in general. No, no, he has no credit. Okay, I thought he co-wrote it. Okay, it's yeah, the you're first right. time uh, that, he, that he has no credit on the screenplay. 
didn't well, know that. It's a yeah, very old I, screenplay, yeah. so it it's been around since like the nineties, and um, it was just sitting on a shelf. And I mean, the nineties were a different time; they wouldn't make something like this. And I think Yorgos just he adds obviously his flavor to it. You can definitely tell that it's his movie. Um, and I think the fact that it's his most celebrated kind of coincides with the fact that he didn't write it. <laughs> um, Sacred Deer and The Lobster are much more polarizing because it's his screenplay. Maybe yeah. maybe that's honestly why I didn't like The Lobster as much as I enjoyed The Favorite. Because I think so. Yorgos's writing has a very obscure and twisted and you're not necessarily knowing where it's going to end up kind of style and not that the favorite doesn't have it but i feel your ghost is his mind is just so complex and all over the place and so it's sometimes nice to take a breath and direct something that you didn't write because you're going to have a whole new take on it instead of having it all 100 percent be yours yeah um, and even though this movie is pretty weird, it's definitely his, his least, like, I, th- I think that his, his um, recent run is a part of a whole Greek renaissance of, like, directors that share a similar sense of humor. So it's not like he's, like, an odd duck out of the bunch. Like, there's, like, a lot of guys like him in Greece. Um, and so now the fact that he's choosing to not work on his own scripts i think that shows that he's pivoting to other directions and that's exciting wait yours is greece he's he, yeah, he's, he's greek yeah he, he has a wait are, you're telling me that <laughs> someone with the name yorgos lathamos is greek well <laughs> yeah i knew this was a bit i get out of town Imagine he's like uh, he's like Italian. I mean, I guess that is Italian, but um, mm, no, it is not Italian. <laughs> no, no Italian is named Yorgos. <laughs> oh God. Um, yeah, no, he's great. Um, I'm. I think I I think there's a good point, like when you said Jack about like polarizing, because that's if let's say he didn't make this film, that would be one of the first words I would describe him as, because I mean, he has this vibe about him. Free the favorite. Um, yeah, and it's and he still like incorporates his own weird, quirky, kind of mean, nihilistic vibe in um, the favorite. But he still, but you know, like he he restrain he, he restrains himself a bit and he uses someone else's script. Of course, that makes a, that has a huge influence. But yeah, I mean, Killing of a Sacred Deer is one of the most polarizing movies I've ever seen. I mean, I loved it because it's fucking wild, but like it's. Like I couldn't. It's one of those like. There's a subjection subjection of movies that I love that I honestly don't think I can recommend to anyone, just because it's not like it's whole like it's horrible or depressing or whatever. It's just like I have no idea if you're gonna like this or not. I have just I, I can't gauge it. I don't know. It's wildly specific and like I don't want to say niche, but just weird. And you have mm. to be on the wavelength. And it's such a it's it's really shoddy. It's like it's like uh, gambling almost. I feel like Yorgos is niche though. He's very niche. I, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think it's good. I think he's so interesting because he is polarizing, or you like you like him or you don't. And 
I don't know. I think this a lot of the time about people too. It's like, I'd rather someone be more, not polarizing, but I'd rather someone be more like a specific cup of tea as opposed to being more like wide reaching because at least they have like flavor, you know, like even if you don't like it all the time, at least they have a very specific vibe. And it's like, I'd rather you have an opinion as opposed to just wanting to please everyone. So um, no, I, I really like it. Yeah, and when this came out, <clears throat> I remember hearing an interview with him that he was talking about. He doesn't want people to like his movies. <laughs> and he's he's per- in from himself that he doesn't want he doesn't want to be widely celebrated. Um so it's interesting that the favorite got ten Oscar nominations. And was the mo- one of the most critically acclaimed movies of the year, you know? Um, it has a 90 on Metacritic. Yeah. A 90. It's, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, and I, I guess, like, I, I mean, I love his, his work. I think he's he's someone that I, can, I really appreciate his sense of humor. And I like that, like we mentioned earlier, the movie stars, quote-unquote, that he gathers around him. And there's no one else that can that can uh, bring out the work that he does. And he's, to me, my big take, he's the most like Stanley Kubrick we have right now. Which is, me and you have argued, me and you have argued about this because I think, one, I think you have to have a longer and more, you have to have some years on you and you have to have a longer career to even think of that comparison. Well, it's not though, because I, he needs like John, because we don't need to get into this too much, but like I, I feel like he needs to explore a few more genres to even consider calling him that, just because that's what Kubrick did. But You're right. I but he, understand. He's I'm not crazy. Well, wait. Do you? But do you really think he's gonna? Do you think explore he's gonna genres? make like like like? Do you think he's gonna make something as like a space opera or like a straight horror movie or a romantic thriller? Well, I, I guess think this counts. I guess Sacred Deer is a horror movie. Oh yeah, I, I don't, for me for me. I mean, it scares me. So I mean, what am I just you know? It's uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, but I see what uh, you're saying. No, um, but yeah, I think he has he has the uh, he has he has a range certainly. He's proven to have a range. Um, I mean, he does, but again, I would say not as much as Kubrick. And then again, that's hard well, to beat. You know. Who? I mean, that's the thing. It's like. You know, Kubrick has such a wide range. But, I mean, we're not here to talk about Kubrick. But I, yeah, well, I, I understand what you're saying. But, like, I think, honestly, Nolan would be at least second or first in that conversation just because of how much he pushes. Like, what Kubrick did for 2001 is what right, Nolan right, does. we gotta get off this. We gotta get off yeah. this. Gotta... <laughs> I, I appreciate the, like, the film, bro, like conversation though in terms of like <laughs> which I think it could be both I think it could be both because I mean like it is interesting as me up's like who's gonna be the next big person but also like I don't know if I don't know if Yorgos is gonna be it anytime soon I could also like get the into next that like the next big uh Kubrick or Nolan mm-hmm. or anything like that just but also I can't really like make that prediction because I haven't seen enough of his work Sure. I I still want to see like Dog Tooth. I haven't seen well, Sacred Dog Deer. Is yeah. I haven't seen Sacred Deer, but I know that one's on Netflix, so I have to check it out. Um, 
but yeah i'm curious to see where he's gonna go i just i i couldn't make a guess anytime soon but who knows maybe in 10 years he'll he'll make like a space drama or he'll make he'll he'll expand his range make a war movie yeah well i think yeah once you make a war movie you're you're there right you're on your you're on the path yeah yeah not that i'm making one anytime soon but (laughs) i know funny if like andrew was like yeah so guys i have the script and that's yeah, my, very my based next, off 1917. Yeah. <laughs> um, so his next project listed under the lovely IMDb is the Man in the Rockefeller Suit, television adaptation of Mark Seal's book about an imposter who claims to be a mysterious descendant of the wealthy Rockefeller family. Excellent. Uh, it's based off a book. Here for it's it. Yorgos Lathimos. But it sounds like, but that sounds kind of like Killing of a Sacred Deer almost yeah whatever give it to me i know but we're just saying like we're talking about range and you know it sounds like he's going to something that's Kubrick made somewhat three similar warmers. all right we gotta get off this we gotta... All, right. all right speaking <laughs> speaking of range how do we how do you how did you guys feel about olivia coleman's performance because I, I feel like it's something she's done before but i think she did a good job in this one just crushes it maybe the best best actress winner of the decade for me Okay, I, I mean, will, we can get into that later. We can get into it mm-hmm. on Google. It's amazing. Did you guys had you guys ever heard of Gout before this movie? Yeah, I know, I've like, only heard of Gout from movies or television. Yeah. So I think like her performance, you know, everybody started Googling Gout more than ever before. So we have heard of <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure. Get all that. <laughs> but she does a good job portraying it. I don't know. That's just great. <laughs> Do people get gout anymore? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I've heard. I've heard about it. Really? Do you yeah. know someone personally? No. No. <laughs> no. I actually, I have gout. That's, that's the unfortunate fact. fact. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm the one with gout, so it's. Source subject for me. <laughs> what is gout? That is my question. I don't know exactly what happens like to your body, but it's from eating like a lot of rich foods. So like that's why really wealthy people always got it. It would just be like if you're constantly indulging in like oysters and caviar and I, I think that the, like the really sweet all... decadent, cake, then you get gout. Yeah, the scene where she eats all of the cake, like sh- I think she did a good job, like showing like her symptoms of the sickness, mm. at that point, and then sort of in the end when she she sort of had like had the stroke where she like lost mobility in parts of her body, like I mm-hmm. think she does a good job portraying someone who is sick, but even like as a viewer, I don't even really think about it much. I'm more intrigued with the other plots going on. Mm-hmm. Which makes it good for Olivia Coleman's character to like have those little subplots going on that people can observe. It certainly goes to show how much uh, Abigail and Sarah dynamic is a see is a it takes the spotlight away from uh, from Queen Anne and and how and like. Even the uh, like the war politics, like there's a whole war going on, and and it's just like that's 
backdrop that's like white noise to these people like it's just they're all in, all self-involved and in within their own interests but they don't we don't even hear about like all the decisions to be made and even if we do like we care about it as much as uh these characters do i like that yeah so i i was thinking this time because so watching it this is my second time seeing it um and i kind of went in just thinking because after olivia coleman won the oscar and she won uh for lead one of the biggest and greatest surprises ever in oscar history Um, i'll never forget that it's it's truly that it's the only redeeming moment of those oscars Um, well i mean that and spike yeah that was pretty cool that's a good point i mean like another incredible speech you you wrote an article on that on those Oscars, on that Oscars, didn't you? Hey, man. Oh, simple cinephile. A nice flag. Maybe I didn't know that. It's a good article. And I think um, I used her as a cover photo. It was either, no, I, no, I used use, use Spike. Use Spike. Yeah, I used Spike, yeah, like him jumping up and down. With the group hug with, uh, with Sam. Weird that I remember this. Um, yeah, I pay attention to your work. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, so. I'm a big fan, honestly. Look at this. It's an honor to Which talk to you. more often. Yeah, it's yeah. an honor. I'm a big fan. It's a privilege. Um, no, but I was walking because the it was there's a whole discourse. Is she the lead? Like, do, I don't, does she have enough screen time? Blah 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 blah. Um, and I was going in, being like, I don't know. At first, I, like, I was pretty sure, like, when she was nominated, when she won, I'm like, yeah, she's lead. But you know, more people talk about it. We're like, oh no, no, Emma's the lead. <laughs> Rachel's the lead. All this bullshit. And so, uh, you know. Going into my second viewing, I'm like, okay, is she? And then there's there's these long stretches when it's just her, like, wallowing or crying or in agony. And I'm like, yeah, she's the fucking lead. Like, the center, like, the thing is, people don't realize the center of attention is in either the film, for all the characters, everything revolves around her. So, of course, she is the lead. I don't, now I just, like, now I'm thinking about, like, I don't understand the argument. I mm. just, like, she is the, like... It is we start and end with her. Spotlight. Yeah, exactly. And she is the spotlight of the entire movie, whether it be the actual characters, themes, script, or actual, like, um, like just scenes. I don't know. Like, I feel like it's kind of undeniable, but I don't. It, it's hard if he's kind of like, it's like a three-headed monster, this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's hard. Like, who has, like, the longer neck or whatever a three-headed <laughs> monster has? And for me, I've never really cared about category fraud. Like, win an Oscar, however you gotta win an Oscar, you know. There's only one that makes me ab- like mad. Viola. For what? Fences. For no. Um, it's funny <laughs> enough. It's Den. It's Denzel in support in lead for Training Day. That's the worst category fraud ever. And Ethan Hawke mm. is in supporting. That's okay. like yeah. it's literally yeah. the it's the worst. Because the same argument we can ever use seen. for um well they owed him for Malcolm X, so it's like, yeah, whatever. Well, this is true, but like it's but ta- but it's not even that. Then they shouldn't have not nominated Ethan for supporting, because he's just not supporting. He's the lead How of the movie. How could you not nominate Ethan for supporting? What do you mean? <laughs> Alright, you're fucking with me. I, I think with um Going back to whether Olivia Coleman or not should have been the lead compared to Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz's characters, I think it's important for the audience. And what I've read about in my one editing class is 
who owns the scene. And anytime Olivia Coleman is in a scene, she owns it mm-hmm. compared to sure. the other characters. However, as a viewer, I sometimes disagree with that statement because I felt Emma Stone's character, Abigail, was more of a lead to me because you watched her become the favorite. She transformed to be the favorite. The titular role. Yeah. So it, for me, it's very I'm very torn between Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone for the race of who should have been that best actress character and who's more of the main character but i go back to olivia coleman always owns the scenes and then and that last scene in the favorite that's olivia coleman's scene that's not Mm -hmm. emma stone's scene and that i think is the reason why olivia coleman was picked for best actress and not best supporting actress i agree with that i agree with that yeah and no one was beating regina king yeah, no one was being Regina King. Yeah. Absolutely uh, not. Oh, what a performance. What an actress. Man. Mm. Um, what she's doing? What is she doing right now? Yeah, Watchmen. <laughs> Watchmen. In quarantine. Oh, what's she doing in quarantine? Yeah. Just curious. Yeah. Is she hanging out? <laughs> Let's check in. What should we call Regina? I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> yeah. She seems, she, she seems to be okay. Yeah. Um, I agree. <laughs> Where are we going with this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we recorded our Inside Lewin Davis episode yesterday, and I almost, I think I opened with, how's Oscar Isaac doing? Because I'm just curious, like these people yeah, you've that, you have been doing this a lot. <laughs> I don't know. We, you know, we know how we're doing as normal people, and like, you know, the plebes or whatever, you know, the li- literal people, little, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but like, how are these movie stars and like these huge hollywood juggernauts how are they doing what's going on sitting at home twiddling their thumbs all your assistants go to the grocery store for them (laughs) so i think they're good uh, yeah i guess they are i just like what what are they doing to pass the time because they you know they're usually busy yeah i wonder if um emma stone singing yeah god yeah I actually saw I saw a meme about that, like Emma Stone singing that in Easy A, and it was like, this is what happens with a TikTok song. Not to bring up TikTok, but (laughs) it's true. That is what happens. That's true. (laughs) Just imagine. 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 Are we going to talk about the bunny? Yeah, the bunny rides. Are We're going to talk part. about them now. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <laughs> they're pretty I cool. They're, it's kind of like this and us came out, I mean, for me at least, um, mm-hmm. within months of each other. Yeah. So it's us came out in March, March, early March. And this came out in November. Yeah. I saw it in December. Yes. Okay. So I think yeah yeah so they're like pretty they're pretty close um and the fact that they both use bunny rabbits and they're so close close together it's interesting do y'all have a favorite bunny rabbit <laughs> I, I like bunny rabbit number nine but a runner up might be bunny rabbit number 14 so. like do you mean in like movies in general well no i mean well jokingly the favorite the one bunny there's two bunnies i remember they might have been the same bunny but it's the one that like eats all of the cake when 
Evan Abigail and the Queen are on the floor together, there's one of the bunnies that's just eating the cake that was meant for Olivia Colman. I always like to uh, to watch the rabbits. I think this is my third time seeing it. I like to watch the rabbits and seeing what they do when uh, Vicer Stone is in the scene, because that that could uh, tell the audience like this is where this character is at with Queen Anne. Yeah, I mean the rabbits are an important part of the movie, yeah. um, because like that's like that's what it that's why Yorgos ends it with the last actual shot of the movie is like the rabbits all all rabbiting and such. Hugh Skyline um, Pigeon. Um, yeah, no, they're they're interesting. I saw I remember there I like I remember like one of the there's an albino rabbit in there, and I was like, oh wow, holy shit, yeah, that's that's freaky. <laughs> Yeah, those are freaky animals. All someone, did you? I feel like everyone knew someone growing up that had a pet bunny that was an albino bunny. Did you guys not? I, I, I thought I thought that was like <laughs> rite of passage. My third grade class did. That was like a class pet. There you go. Yeah. yeah. We got to like anyone else albino bunny. No, I can't say yeah. I have. Wait, wait, just to circle back, Jack. Do you have the bunny to like? <laughs> Did you have? Did you study it? Is that why you had an albino um, buddy? Where do I start? Yeah, so like, our name would be chosen out of a hat every weekend, and someone in that third grade class would get to bring it home and then bring it back on Monday. Why was it albino? Just take care of it. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's just what the school chose for a class pet. It's gets a it. of passage. I'm telling you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What kind of? Yeah, that's wild. Interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> and I, I, I like that Yorgos can can be like, no, I don't think that we should just like copy and paste the bunny rabbits. <laughs> like we're going to get all different types of breeds and sizes and colors. That must have been a bitch to shoot. Bunny rabbits like must be like the most untamed <clears throat> animals ever. That and uh, the the goat from the witch, I hear, are... are animals in instances that just did not cooperate oh you mean philip good old philip black philip black philip yeah he's a great Doc guy philip he's a friend actually he's, good he's friend a, no way he's a friend of the park <clears throat> at least it's not like a lion or some <laughs> threatening yeah. creature it's a bunny it's a bear <laughs> for midsummer <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm just so, imagining oh, yeah. a lion that'd yeah. be that'd be fucked up a lion? Yeah. Imagine that. Be messed up. You know someone would get eaten. Like <laughs> that would just. One hundred percent. Be how um, go. Yeah. What it? What do we? Th- I mean, we're not. We don't really go scene by scene or anything. So, what do we think of the ending? I. So the first time I saw actions. it, <laughs> I like it. Um, <laughs> I have a whole take about it. It was my, I, I was so proud of myself after the first, like from the first time I watched it and I saw, because I was like, I was getting into film, but I was now more exploring, more abstract. Um, I was getting away from the just the big blockbusters and the prestige oscar movies in the sense of like the middle of the road point a to point b store you know um kind of stories that 
I was interested in when it came to getting into film. I was now trying to get into like more artistic ideas and creative methods of such just to really throw on the pretentious vocabulary. Um, and I, it was the first time when I saw that and I'm like, Oh, I get that. I understand what I understand what he's trying to say. Two plus two makes four. I get it. I am like, I'm, I I understand film now. I'm so smart. (laughs) I just get it. And I texted like Jack. Broke into song. Oh, yeah. seriously. Yeah, and I, I texted thing. Jack, and I'm just like, oh man, the ending's really cool. I have this whole theory about it. Once you see it, text me, and I'll just explain it to you because I'm smart. Right. Yes, I think I remember this now. Um, um, but I know. I, I saw. I, it with, I like it with a friend of mine. Like we were so giddy, <laughs> like just because Jorgos's humor is so. Like we we had the same feeling when we saw Uncut Gems. Like the humor that that we were feeling was so up our alley where we're just like, <laughs> are you feeling this? <laughs> Sorry. All right. Keep can... <laughs> like a Marvel movie. A, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. What do you guys think of the ending? Um, well, I guess the point of the ending is trying to make you decide who do you think actually won. So I think, I, I, it's up to the viewer to decide if you think Emma Stone won or if Rachel Weisz actually won. And I think Rachel won because she's the she's not a servant anymore, even though she's, like, not in court. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I like it because it's like you kind of see Emma Stone get her comeuppets. Like, it kind of feels nice to see her realize that she's not as big of a deal as she thinks that she is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I like it. I like the fun. Like, I, I appreciate fun editing always so i like that too i think it's it's easy to just like do traditional film editing and like cut on action and like that kind of stuff so i enjoy that he ended it on more of like an interesting scene kind of Mm um yeah i liked it yeah the count to counter what sally dar said and when i mentioned earlier about who owns the scene i i the favorites ending showcases who really owned which is the queen the whole time where in the beginning of that final scene location where abigail is reading the book and she steps on the bunny that's sort of your thought that maybe emma stone won maybe abigail won but then the queen asks her to rub her leg which is something she was trying to avoid that whole second half of the film was to rub the queen's leg and then there she is she has no choice but to do it and then the bunnies sort of symbolize perhaps um her children and therefore abigail is sort of a children who has to take care of her mom that's there's so many different metaphorical ways you could interpret that scene i think it's i agree with rachel vice as lady morbid one because um like she's out of the picture she doesn't have to worry about it and she took her fate into her own hands mm. yeah it's interesting you you bring up the parallels with um emma stone being the the kid to uh olivia coleman because i i really kind of like the opposite where she's since she's now killed the bunny she's now replaced um replaced the bunny as someone that she can be appreciated by uh olivia coleman not like the other way around finally and um I think I walk away with this 
with the ending differently each time <clears throat> that whoever ch- is the chosen favorite i i never have a concrete answer um i think this time it, i think maybe rachel vice but that's only because there's that hint of tension in the scene leading up to the hypnotic final shot um with with like uh queen anne like lashing out at her and you've never seen this back and forth up until that point can i give my reading of the, no. the final shot okay <laughs> imagine sorry now okay all right i want to hear it <laughs> oh thank you andrew i really appreciate that <laughs> um i so this was my first and initial reading i still have the same reading of the second time i saw it um so the bunnies represent her children. They're this, these placeholder, these you know, symbolic representation of her children. They're supposed to, and you know, they're 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 bunnies. They're cute. They're fluffy. They're but they're not like condition, like compassionate, or they don't give like unconditional love. They're just kind of there and they look cute. Um, and that can be gratifying. That could be like fun to have but it's not necessarily a satisfying meaningful relationship to have i mean it is a pet at the end of the day but it's not like a dog or something it's not like something you can truly care for and have and have that animal replicate those kind of feelings it just you know bunnies just kind of exist um i mean and and so in queen Anne, i mean i think um rachel vice really like never really likes the bunnies because i think she understands it's kind of unhealthy it's unhealthy to have that as like a replacement so to speak for your actual child that you could have had and also it's it's you know you're also just so stuck on it and they're a constant reminder of what you've lost and the tragedy that's befallen you um but they're not real in the sense i mean they are real bunnies but they're not uh, real relationships they're not actual children they're just they're just like things it just it, it's not fulfilling in any sense of the word and it, it's just you know it, it doesn't make up for what she's lost and i think the idea of connecting the bunnies to abigail because the the shot is so it's on it's a close-up of olivia it fades into abigail and then that fade and like the center of her head or her forehead the bunny appears and it fades into the bunnies and yeah exactly it's it's like this it's like this circle it's or the cycle it's you know like the um, they're all connected to each other do you think um emma or uh, abigail will start to develop sarah's behavior towards queen anne but um i don't don't, i'm I'm not sure it's like that Um, root uh frank honesty no was lacking well, that's the thing. That's what that's what I the reason why I say that she represents the bunnies is because they're not real. They're not. A, it's not a real relationship. It's fake. It's a. It's it's all a. It's all an illusion because um, Abigail's not being real or is it's not a being a genuine it's a It really it is. It's it's she's not being a genuine person with Anne. She's mm. they're not. It's not an actual relationship. It is a yes man, and that's the idea. Is like. Rachel Weiss's relationship with Queen Anne was her child, was an actual, like, fulfilling relationship. Whether it was toxic or not, we can get into that later. But it was a relationship that had its ups and downs, but it was real in every sense of the word. 
but with Queen Anne and Abigail, it's fake. It's not. It, it, it's nice. It's cushiony. It's but it's hollow. It's like fucking cotton candy. It's sweet. <laughs> it's you know. It, it's colorful. I love it's that this was your big pleasing. Take. It, that is. I mean, that so, is really this my is big what, take. Like, melted your mind. This is. <laughs> it's just the idea that there. It's just not real. She's a bunny yeah. rabbit. She's not a real child. That's that's. Sorry, Dar, what were you gonna say? I that one quote from the movie where it's like when she's knocking at her door and she won't really come to it initially and she says something along the lines of I don't lie to you like that's what love is Mm -hmm. and so it's not I mean you think about it in terms of like a romantic relationship or just with friends it's like would you rather have a friend like Emma Stone that tells you what you want to hear like never tells you that an outfit looks bad or like wants to do whatever you want to do or would you rather have a friend that actually has an opinion and like maybe her opinions are really harsh and the favorite, but yeah. I don't know. It's kind of it's an interesting take on just like relationships in general. Like, what is the better relationship? You know, it's like have any of you get you have you guys seen Bridesmaids? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like that scene when Kristen Wiig and Rose Byrne are giving toasts at uh, my Rudolph's wedding and they're competing. Yeah. And it's like that for the entire. It's like this for the for the entire movie. <clears throat> yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think relationships play a huge part in the favorite, and I like I like that perspective a lot because you, you the characters are fake towards each other. The second um, Sarah and Abigail meet, you can just tell their friendship is not necessarily perfect, but Sarah Rachel Vice's character at least is more honest and brutal. And I, like, appreciate that about her character because she is sort of that friend who would be honest to you. And then, therefore, Olivia Coleman as the queen has to figure out which one would she rather hear, which person would she rather have in her head. Because all these characters are technically in Olivia Coleman's head the whole time and in her ear as to, like, who does she want to believe? Where does she fit in? And I think, like, Nicholas Holt's another good example of someone who sort of plays double agent and that's another like form of friend that's out there in relationship we all deal with i just love nicholas holt's look in this (laughs) like he didn't he did he had so much courage doing the whole get up (laughs) the period accurate um what what do they call uh wigs and teeth Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) whatever they got i love how he never takes it off yeah, yeah, he never takes stuff either. Wasn't he almost going to be Batman, Clay? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. him and Robert Pattinson. That was Rob the Pattinson. final two. I, I, I Honestly, I love Nicholas Holt because he's just such a character. He's willing to transform himself into different personalities. And I think the favorite does such a great job with that in particular with him. It gives him such a great opportunity to expand his verizons and he vanishes uh into nux with fury road correct yeah like that's yeah that's the one of my favorite performances from nicholas holt too is from fury road and so i I like seeing him in other movies too but he always he always plays something a little different and he always has this spark to him that's just pleasing yeah he has a take he has a lot of business going on for sure um, did you guys ever watch Skins? <laughs> no. Definitely not. Okay, Say Nicholas Holt is the main 
character in Skins, and Skins. I was obsessed okay. with that. And so, like, it's just so nice to see him, like, on the big screen. Does this have anything to do because... with Bones? No. It's a spinoff Skins of Bones. Skins was a British TV show yeah. about a bunch of wild high schoolers, and he was, like, the main character. Like, he was the heartthrob character. And so just, like, seeing him in a movie now years later it's just so nice <laughs> it's like reconnecting with an old friend that's that's just this love nicholas <laughs> and um, performance you think so undoubtedly this, right i think i mean fear road hmm. he kind of steals that movie in some rewatches for me I, I I agree with Jack. I think Fury Road, he's incredible. But I also would not... I would put the favorite as a very close second. Um, another great performer in this is Joe Elwin, of course. Like, he's around our age, too. Um, I think he's like fre- he was fresh out of uh, acting school in 2016 when he was cast uh, for Billy Lynn. And now he's just kind of like worked with a lot of uh, tours ever since i feel like i'm missing who does he play he plays like um well there's like two real male roles he plays the other um abigail's husband that's That's what that's what i thought um he's also taylor swift's boyfriend if i'm correct oh wow um yeah so one of i should have led with that thank you hey tay yeah (laughs) good old tay tay um, but yeah, he, I like I like his taste in the film. I like, I like in terms of like Abigail, so like wrongs to him in so many ways, but it like works, and it, I think it allows Emma Stone slash to like create Abigail to be more of a vile character mm. because of him and their dynamic. Yeah. I love that scene when, when like she's just like jerking him and and she's just like not even paying attention. It's so like that. I think that's a very Yorgosy seat like touch, where she's just like has no motion to the, you know, intimacy and. Um, oh yeah, he knows he's one of the better directors of making a scene so unattractive and like unsensual, yeah. like anti-sensual. I mean, we had a whole thing about. Nicole and Colin in uh, Sacred Deer, <clears throat> but their their marriage could not be. And it, I mean, Sacred Deer is um, how I've always seen it, is part satire. So I guess you could read it's it. Very, as, like, yeah, it's very it's like a take takedown of the you know American suburbia. But this is yeah, it's another good uh, portrait of of just a dead on arrival kind of relationship here. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think it's yeah. funny because that's what she was working towards, like being safe and like having a husband, being financially stable, like having emotional support theoretically. And it's like she finally got it. Like it's her wedding night, and then she's still focused on the strategy. It's like, no, you can relax now. Like, what? Yeah. and you, you did it. Yeah. Like, come on. I've always loved the hard cut into like um, the queen suggesting the marriage, and then it's just like, I do. <laughs> it always, it always gets. Yeah. Oh man, the script. I, I think, is, I think this yeah. might be my favorite screenplay of 2018 too. 
I'll have to like double. I'll have to like look through 2018. Widows is also up there too, but this is uh, it's so good. Like we've we've established like the power dynamics and how they're always shifting, but it's it's hysterical on top of that. <laughs> it's so yeah. funny. All of Nicholas Holt's dialogue is so fucking great. It's like I just love he- hearing him speak and take down people. I mean, also like the barbs that um, Sarah and um is it harley or Haley? harley harley, harley. i love yeah i love the barbs they just trade back and forth like the most vicious takedowns they could possibly they could possibly give one another is so satisfying to watch oh yeah yeah i, I it's a very nasty movie at times and i like that i like that i just yeah. like how sometimes like nasty they are to each other just because it, i feel like it's done creatively and also it's also entertaining because i mean you're not you don't really love or like or like any of these people so it doesn't (laughs) bother you too much would it be okay if i brought up a a scene that i really like and i think like exemplifies that really well of course Um, yeah it'd be weird if we said no (laughs) you could say no it's fine (laughs) that'd be very Um, awkward (laughs) um i really enjoy the scenes where they're shooting stuff outside and they're holding like with them holding a gun in their hand you just you're wondering where the tension's gonna go and then my fate one of my favorite scenes is when sarah shoots the the unloaded gun the unloaded pellet at abigail because it's just like it's just you you don't know what's in you don't know what's in it and i think you always can add tension if there's like a bomb hidden somewhere or someone's holding a gun that's how like it really grabs an audience's attention and so that's honestly why those scenes are my favorite and then Mm. later on when abigail shoots the bird right in front of rich (laughs) by his face and she got the blood splatter yeah i think it's so that moment for me it was the orchestra music very creative and that is when you knew they weren't going to be friends anymore. It's like enemies from now until the end. And that's what I <laughs> loved about those scenes. Then it becomes Mean Girls. It goes from Sense and Sensibility to Bridesmaids. Um, speaking of the orchestral soundtrack, this got me This got me really into classical music for like a month. I continually <laughs> listen to the songs that Yorgos oh used. God. Where it's just like, oh man, should I get really into classical now? <laughs> it's like it's like Beethoven a homie. <laughs> and uh yeah, I mean I don't I don't think classical music is anything that I, I I listen to constantly now, but seeing it used here, it was just very it's very hypnotic. And um it's not like the classics that we've seen used a lot of um, like so many times because when like Amadeus, for example, um, it's just kind of like, yeah, like I know he's it's Mozart and it's like groundbreaking and all that. But it's it's like we've heard this used in pop culture. And I and I guess like um, that one song near the beginning <clears throat> Where it's like 15 minute long, minutes long, and we're getting set up with Abigail's character, and um, I think it's it's like along it's it's along the scenes when she burns herself, and it's like slowly introducing instruments like every 30 seconds, and it's just like 
it just really makes me anxious when Yorgos uses um, something like that. And to bring up the ending again, he uses a similar song where it's like, it's so quiet. It's almost like putting you to sleep, but not in like a boring way. <laughs> I good shit. I'm speechless right now because I had no idea that all of the music in here is like classical, like actual like classical music that was made before this movie. Oh, you thought it was actual score? I had no idea that there's no composer for this movie. I'm like legitimately like shocked. If I remember correctly, I don't think. um... Say it again, Sally. Oh, it just it all fits so well. Like you just think it would be composed. It really does. Wow. (laughs) That's crazy. This is like um, (laughs) it works. It works. Yeah, this is like we stumped you all over again with um, with Henry, with Book of Henry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna take a nap. Yeah. He needs to lie down. Ooh. <laughs> I like. I do like Love the it. suspenseful music in the beginning with the whole when she gets her hand burned and, um, I guess this is me getting really, really in depth where we don't have to. But the sound design. No, no, let's get as in-depth as we can. The sound design just makes it even more haunting. It's excellent. He's so, um, I mean, we have an entire episode on Sacred Deer. Why why do I keep bringing it up? But there's there's this one scene um, where Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell are, are, are like, chatting. And uh, Nicole Kidman is flossing her teeth. And, like, you can hear every like little particle come out of her mouth and it's like oh man it's so it's so uh stressful yeah Mm -hmm. you can make something out of nothing for sure yeah i just think whenever they're like walking down the hallway and you hear their footsteps and you just just based on their footsteps you know how serious or like how malicious or conniving these women are about to be yeah yeah, I think that's, yeah, I, I do love, like, how much they make the palace a character. You get really familiar with it. You get familiar with oh, the hallways. Just gorgeous you get production design, too. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet it wasn't crazy expensive because they do reuse a lot of those sets. Like, it's yeah. not like, it's not like they use the entire fucking palace or whatever and make, like, four different, completely different sets or whatever. And it's rare that they leave the palace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just figured out that, or just looked up. So the editor for this movie, his name is. So he worked. He's worked, I think, on all of Yorgos' films, and his name is also Yorgos. Mm. And his last name, I will not try to pronounce. He's not. He's a. He's is just. Is a very Greek. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredibly Greek. It's. Um. I'm not going to try. I also love the costume design too, and. Uh, it's like very modern materials a little bit like how little women's costumes aren't as as like period accurate as we've seen so many times and these are just as contemporary enough that we can that we can um we don't have the distance you know i mean rachel weiss's wardrobe in this is incredible it's yeah. so unlike yeah. anything we've ever seen in these costume dramas where she just wears like some like the most baddest shit possible. Yeah. Like it, it's like it's she very like I love it's super intimidating and also just you you just usually 
you get this idea or this preconception of like cost in these costume dramas that um, the women are wearing these huge flat, you know, floral dresses that seem completely uh, impractical and ridiculous. Um, and she is like, just like wearing this, like very, I don't want to say masculine because I don't, I don't think it's masculine. I think it's just like, just kind of, I don't want to say, I guess, like you said, Jack, it's kind of modern. It feels very modern with just like classical material or classic material, not classical. Uh, but yeah, I love her look in this. I mean, I, I do also love that she wears a lot of black and, uh, and Abigail wears a lot of white. I think it's just really highlights the dichotomy and the um, polarization between the two of them. Sandy Powell. That's right. Yeah. Cindy Powell worked on this. That's, I think that's Marty's, um, Marty Scorsese's uh, costume designer. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Robbie Ryan's cinematography, too. Like, this is such a gorgeously shot movie. The camera is just always in motion. You can see the ceiling. I love the fisheye lenses. Um, and and he's such a... He's a cinematographer with such range, too. He, sh- he shot Marriage Story completely different from this. And... You would not, I, at least for me, I would not guess that it's the same cinematographer as Andrew Arnold's movies. And, um, I, yeah, he's, he, I love this. It was definitely in between this and A Star is Born for my favorite cinematography last year. I did not know Robbie Ryan also did Marriage Story. That's mm-hmm. a yeah, fact see? Yeah. I learned today. So. <laughs> I did not. Thank you for, um, but I, I think what I read about Robbie Ryan and, um, like his cinematography is like he definitely did it to showcase the palace as a whole. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of going back to what Clay said about bringing the palace and making it into a character. The cinematography does a great, great job about that. Yeah. 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 One of the shots is like when they're in um, her room and there's all those paintings that are like all the way up the wall you know like there's no space to actually see the wall like it's just all paintings right or is that in that is that in her room I don't know it's somewhere in the palace but it's just like only paintings like I love that if anyone cares <laughs> no no I, I, that's a really good point I I, yeah. I, I, I think it's there's a lot of attention to detail and it never feels artificial even though I think Yargos does take some contemporary elements and mixes it in just to, because I mean he, he also just he can't do anything like without his own take, without his own style, and also it makes the movie so much more appealing. It's not stuffy. It doesn't feel, I don't know, dry. It feels fun. It feels creative. It feels like even though it's like you know even though there's a plenty of historical inaccuracies in this movie. Surprisingly, it's surprisingly. It's very. It, it has actually a decent amount of stuff that is completely accurate. Who cares? Um, that's but, what I say. No, it, dude, that's historical the thing. accuracy. That's the Who thing. Who cares? But that's the idea, and I like that approach because he doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, he. What the thing is that the core element of the story, and like the ideas of it are truthful, but the details he does he kind of plays with it or. Um, scriptwriters but mm-hmm. i think the idea of just having having them do the weirdest fucking dance moves ever is just it's like why not let's have fun like let's make this own let's because what we're doing is not focused on like this we're not depicting some historical event we're depicting characters and relationships and like just a mo- like it's a movie like sometimes have the queen put a, a movie. 
Have the queen put an end to a group of musicians. Just Stop. randomly. Leave! <laughs> so good. I love how the guy bows before he, like, he's, like, so, like, like what the <laughs> right. fuck am I doing? He's like, oh, yeah, bow, and then he just, like, scurries off. <laughs> so funny. Oh, my gosh. I also like, just changing the subject slightly, I also like how, well, two things about how they're able to have these three characters that are all bitchy in their own ways and they're kind of unlikable but they're very likable and I think it's difficult to write female leads that are mean but we still enjoy them so I love that and I also love how it is really feminist in the sense that like the men are like not in control like the women are the ones that are manipulating the women are the ones that are really controlling the country and also the men are the ones with like the huge hair and like the really like intense makeup. And so it's, it's really feminist actually, which I, I just love it that they, mm. I don't know, it's just great. And it passes Another the Brechtel test. Was not made. It really does. It really yeah. just like absolutely passed. Like it is almost, there is, it defies the Bechtel test. Honestly, it just, it's, it just passes just completely because they just barely, because there's like you said, Sally, there's just, almost no focus on the men it's just these dynamics and these relationships it's about power it's also it, yeah i i it's yeah it's great and also like i mean the film twitter was obsessed with rachel weiss after this movie because she was so dominating and ruthless and like she took so much control and i don't want to say aggressive but yeah i guess dominating and everyone and yeah, exactly. I just, I don't know. I think it, she's, her presence and, it, her presence is very engrossing. Her presence is very eye-catching. She always makes an impact in every scene she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also just such a great fucking actress. And she is so dialed into what this tone, the tone of this movie is. And she really highlights the, if you don't have, like, I even though Olivia Colman's great and I think she deserved that Oscar, I feel like Vice Vice's performance is almost key to is this Is that your movie. favorite performance? Mm, uh, I don't know favorite, about that. Favorite. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ. I just, I can't uh, anymore. I can't. Right. I can't do this. Um, you know what this movie kind of reminded me of? Like, low-key? Well, not, I feel like it's very obvious. It It's really similar to Portrait of a Lady on Fire in the sense that there's, like, three big female leads well portrait of lady on fire is more two than three i guess but there's strong female leads and that are like kind of manipulating each other in their own ways and the like the house in portrait of a lady on fire is very much a character and then they have those scenes that are outside that kind of it's i don't know it's it's like they both have a standing set that's like really beautiful but then they have these like outside shots exterior shots i don't know Mm. they're very both have like really good production design with the outfits i mean they're very different in a lot of ways but i don't know similar like they both pass the bechdel test with flying colors Hmm. yeah that's yeah no i i think that's a i think that's a great connection i actually didn't think of that i think that's really i I think that that makes a lot of sense um yeah i think we can all agree that uh celine skiama (laughs) yeah we can agree with that I, I still haven't seen the movie, so no spoilers. I made some points. Please. It's on Hulu. I know. I heard it's on Hulu. 
Uh, yeah, I do partnership is going to go far. They're both very different, but I think they're similar in a lot of ways. Like, I think Portrait of a Lady on Fire is more understated. Like, they don't change their outfits a lot. Like, the set isn't as busy, but... It's not fun. Um, it's, it's not a it's fun not, It's not... Yeah. But they I mean, both there, have are, this, there are like, moments you laugh, I think. But it's not a Yorgos Lanthimos movie, for sure. Yeah. But... I know, I love them both. They're yeah. both five stars Absolutely. in my book. Yeah, I agree. Critic. They're very also they're very like aesthetically similar, and I think that makes sense because you want to go for a vibe, right? You want to go for an idea. You want to set put it in context. You know, you want to feel the actual history. You want to feel the actual environment, the setting of where this movie is taking place. And I think both of those movies achieve it very well. It just it reminds you like there's not a second where you feel like like well, I guess I mean favorite the favorite is more contemporary in its dialogue and its overall maybe in like some character beats here and there in like some weird quirky details but it still feels like yeah this is the 18th century this doesn't you know it doesn't really feel you don't get pulled out of it or whatever but it doesn't try to stick too hard to it so it doesn't feel forced or uh formulaic um mm-hmm. yeah but i, I yeah i think i i I do think though Vice really sets the tone of the movie, maybe more than anybody else, just because of like I mean, also like Holt does as well. I mean, I think like their character, the character relationships are great, but I do kind of love the political stuff in this. I think it's really interesting because it's because I mean it, it, it it's pretty even though it's like a monarchy and there's a very different system of government than many of the governments we see today. It still feels like, yeah, that's how politics is done. That's always what politics. That's all what politics has been is dropping. Did you want more of it? Oh no, I, because that's not what the movie's about. But I just appreciated it. I just was like, yeah, that's that's what politics is. It's you know manipulation. Um, it is uh, power. It is favors. It is. Um, it's all quid pro quo and uh, you know I don't transactions. Go into this because. We'll save it for another episode. But something I did think of is Vice. Right, Clay? You think mm. so? There's a little bit of a connection to be made I there. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's all... We're not going to go I, into it. It's not like every... It's not like specifically Vice. I think it's like most like... Again, this is like politics. It's in a lot of movies that have any... I mean, you could say Lincoln, honestly. And it benefits because they came out like within weeks of each other. Oh, that's interesting. But like, I, like the, the entire story of linking, linking, goddamn, Lincoln, the is Lincoln Moyer. A lot of um, no, that's a different movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey's Lincoln would be fucking. Oh, wild. oh my god. That would. I be will cut off my leg to see McConaughey's Lincoln. I'm I'm trying so hard not to do an impression of him as Lincoln. And <laughs> right. I, yeah. I'm gonna succeed because I'm not gonna do it. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of strength. But, like, the entire movie of, I mean, not the entire movie, but a huge por- portion of Lincoln is just backroom deals to make sure that um, the emancipation is passed. It's just like, you know, oh, we'll give you this if you do this, and, you know, uh, we'll give you this power, or we'll, you know, or the, it's like blackmail and quid pro quo. That's, like, a huge part of Lincoln, just so they can pass this amendment to, you know, for the 
better or the pass this piece of legislation. I mean, it's in just a lot of movies that like deal with politics in general. It's fucking West Wing. It's all of this stuff. And I just think it's, but I like how it's, it, it's, uh, it's definitely of a time, like the way they manipulate, but it still feels relevant, but it also, it, it lacks, it doesn't have any subtlety, which I like because it's just, this is not a subtle movie. And I mm. think it's just upfront in like the character dynamics and like the relationships and like there's not this whole thing like I really found it interesting this time just watching him like when um when Rachel Weiss starts throwing the books at Emma Stone. <laughs> Emma Stone immediately knows what it's about and she doesn't try to deny it. She's like, Yeah, no, I slept with her. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like there's not like again, it's not subtle. It's not like there's like these like this and then Queen Anne has a great line. It's just like you know, like when they're walking to the carriage and um, you know, uh, Sarah, Sarah. I'm not gonna repeat it, but like Sarah, but like Sarah says, "Oh, I'm I dismissed Abigail." Blah blah blah. Um, you know, she was lying a thief, and then she sees Abigail's waiting for the carriage, and and Queen Anne's like, "Yeah, no, I fucked her. What of it? <laughs> or, you know, what are you gonna do about it?" I, I think it's interesting you bring up subtlety because Yorgos isn't. He's a very blunt filmmaker, but I never find it annoying. No, I don't find it annoying. Yeah, right? I right? I, I think that's always the opposite reaction. I have somewhere it's like, dude, I get it. Come on. Let's just, like, Aronofsky. I've always had a problem with Aronofsky where it's like, oh, come on, let's just, like, come on, like, feed us something, like a trail of breadcrumbs to get to the point. But, yeah, sorry, Andrew, what were you going to? Uh, I was gonna say I I, I I remember that line very well where like she was like I want her in my bed that's the only reason why I'm keeping her around I think that was a very funny line to me because it it it, it just showed a little bit more of Queen Anne's complexity but also mm-hmm. it's it, it just reminds us that the favorite is also a comedy it's very much a comedy it's, it's just wit it's pure wit it's so much wit and I I like that a lot about this because the favorite kind of a very very serious tone had a lot of drama into it and not that it doesn't but i feel you need that wit that all the characters provide and even with like nicholas holt harley pushes emma stone around and just like has her fall into the the trench i think it's just any all those little moments, it's just it just adds up, and it, I I enjoy the the comedy of it too. Yeah, I think it's the comedy first, drama second for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm trying to find this one line that really took me um, aback. That um, Sarah says to Harley, it's just like it's sometimes so fucking brutal, and I like I remember that when I saw it in theaters, I just had this big ass smile on my face just hearing like some of the shit that he would say, and like. How I mean I think Nicholas Holt's character is so fun to watch. It's so I don't want to say it's it, it's I don't want to say hammy, but it's just he goes in and he commits so hard and he never loses a trace of the character throughout his entire performance. He just stays fucking true. Mm. And I just like I, his just his overall vibe and how fast he speaks. He's just so dialed in and it's so entertaining. Another small thing, I think uh, Yorgos movies are cut really well in their trailers, too. I remember seeing this trailer out of Venice and being like, what is he doing now? Because I 
I knew he had a new movie coming out in 2018, but it's like that's all I need, really. I didn't. I don't need anything else. I don't need a cast. I don't need a description. Like a New Yorkers movie is always going to be something I'm looking forward to. And um, similar to Sacred Deer, which was set to um, Rafi Cassidy singing um, Chandelier, it was just like it gives you that eerie feeling, even though it's just the trailer. <laughs> you know. I I love the trailer. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, yes. I also just like the font. Anytime <laughs> I see the words mm. separate from each other, <laughs> I just think I love it. It makes me I happy. I remember seeing it in theaters when the title cards came up and the chapters. And I was <laughs> I look at my friend. I'm like, what is he doing? Oh, man, this is such <laughs> of a thing. Oh, you're so cute. Oh, thank you. <laughs> We've really gone through like a whole arc this episode. Uh, it just, it's so like, funny to me. Just like, I'm, off the charts. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just imagining Jack in this movie theater seeing that like of, of the font pop up and, she, and he's just like hitting his friend like, oh my God, you see what's happening? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, Listen, you can have I, head game. Yeah, no, hey, we'll hey, more, man, I love it. Hey, I, hey, um, I, I found the line. Right. Um, I found the line that uh, Sarah says to Harley, and she says, um, when, so, you know, Harley's like, might I remind you you're not the queen? Sarah's like, no, she sent me to speak for her. She's unwell. And, she, and Harley's like, well, what did she say? She said that Harley is a fop and a prat and smells like a 96-year-old French whore's vajuju. And I'm just like... That line fucking slayed me. I just was like, it's... Oh my god. It's so funny. Mm. Yeah, but I remember the trailer. Um, Andrew, you were talking about earlier about how you love the scenes of them um, doing target practice and how the scene of her shooting the unloaded gun at her. That's in the trailer specifically. I remember that because... The way that trailer is structured, at least the first one or the one I'm thinking of, is it seems like a, a, a like a little witty costume drama, but it seems like pretty regular in uh, its tone. Or um, not regular, but it seems uh, it doesn't seem as unique. It seems like okay, yeah, this is this is not maybe this has maybe a little wit, but it seems like your meat and potatoes uh, costume drama that has a lot of different relationship dynamics. And oh, it's pretty funny. And then there's this switch where then also the music's pretty like whimsical and then there's this yeah, absolute all over the place. hard sw- hard turn of that like of that shot to her mm-hmm. and then the music completely switched and it becomes super tense and it's like uncomfortable and kind of frightening what's happening and i'm like oh this movie's different this is some fucked up shit right. like what is happening that's me seeing it yeah, that was good. Did you guys see um, this in the theater the first time, or mm-hmm. did I? No, I didn't. I watched it on my computer both times, unfortunately. I think yeah, like, I saw, theater uh, experiences and seeing it on your computer are both pretty valid. Like, um, obviously, theater is being shut down makes makes me take them for granted. But I've always I'm so used to seeing movies on on my computer that I just I'm kind of just a, become a bigger fan now that I've just made it more of a habit. 
Yeah. I almost never watch movies on my computer. Um, well, you know. Either on my TV or occasionally my iPad or occasionally my phone. But for some reason, I never... Unless, like, I'm on... Unless I'm uh, on an airplane. That's when I watch my movies. Or I'm traveling. Because I have this, like, hard drive that I carry around sometimes. Just so, like, I don't have a million movies downloaded on my phone on my computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's usually when I watch... That's when I, that's when I do it. Mm. Just wanted to let you guys know. I think it's, I think it's important. Yeah, to thank you. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I'm taking notes. That's good. Uh, I missed the theaters because I remember seeing this in theaters. It was so good. Mm. I, I I think it's fine. You could see it anywhere and you'll get the same experience. But just that movie theater experience, I'm feeling, feeling a little nostalgic right now. <laughs> uh, it's a crazy time. I remember, um, for some reason, uh, Sally, when you're talking about like the movie theater experience and like, um, seeing it on your computer and now just being nostalgic about movie theaters. I remember your vlog of you just coming out of seeing Parasite, and I'm just like, that's that's exactly <laughs> what I'm missing from movie theaters right now. That kind of like, holy shit! Do you guys know what I just watched? It was mm. fucking crazy. Uh, can't believe that, was... that you bring up my vlogs. <laughs> oh, you have fans. You know, I support. I support I, I your endeavors. Watching. You know, it's really funny that I put things out for the world to see and then I'm embarrassed when people bring them up because that's like every day my mom will say something or my grandmother will say something and it's like, I know the entire world can see them, but that does not mean that I want anyone to talk to me about them. It's like you blocked um, it out. But yeah, no, I really like going to the movies and like, I like, because I really started forming my YouTube videos around me going to the movies if I like... I would just plan to go to the movies if I was filming that day. And I just really miss it now because I kind of had a system going. Um, Where did your content go? But I know. I yeah. can't make that content yeah. anymore. <laughs> back to yeah, one day, the movie's back. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we have the favorite and we have our computer. So I think so. we'll, we'll, we'll manage <laughs> right now. Mm. Right now, we'll manage. Yeah. Later, I don't know. That's yeah. another. That's another. Um. That's another thing. Um. I was. I was surprised how because when I so I. For some reason, I was always under the impression that almost nothing in this movie was historically accurate. Um. And so before, after I watched it earlier today, I did some light googling and some light Wikipediaing, and apparently, like. They actually got a lot of this stuff right, like the general strokes of it, like the actual relationship dynamics. Besides, now the whole thing of having a sexual relationship between Anne and um, Abigail and uh, Sarah, that is not that that's not proven. There's you know there's historians argue whether it you know it's it was uh, suggested in some of Sarah's letters, but there was an actual like three like there was a I don't want to say love triangle, but there was a, at least a friendship triangle in actual reality. Like, Abigail was a real person. Sarah was a real person. There was a falling out because there was, like, this, you know, these um, warring um, relationships and ideas. And Anne actually did transition her ideology to the different party. And, like, this is, like, a lot of this stuff is actually true. And after um, 
I don't think Sarah was ever banished, but she was disgraced. And um, she then when she left England on her, I feel like on her own volition, she started like writing scathing shit about Queen Anne, like petty fucking shit. And like saying like, you know, oh, she did this, she did that. And the reason why there's the historians maybe believe that there are some truths in the in the speculation of um, of Queen Anne having lesbian relationships is because Sarah kind of airs that uh, or suggests that in her in some of her like slam letters, um, like like and it's interesting. It's really interesting. And so there was this huge like actual conflict, and I was I was kind of shocked of how just like. It felt like it was all documented very thoroughly. And I'm like, how did everyone know this? Like, this is, it was weird. It's like, it, it felt very, like, step by step. Um, but yeah, I was surprised. I thought, like, almost all of it. I mean, the general, some of the strokes of, like, um, like the placement and certain decisions and certain, um, and, Were like, the bunny rabbits her... accurate? No. Mm. No. I guess, they I, were... I don't know how sincere I was in that, but, you know, they could be. No, I mean, well, the thing is, they've made a point about that in the historical accuracy part of the, of the Wikipedia page. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. no, rabbits were either pests or food. No rabbits. <laughs> pests or food. There's two types of people in this world, pests or food. Two types of people. Two types of people who divide the world into two yeah, types of people yeah. and the loser. Okay. Hey, now listen. <laughs> wrong episode. Wrong. This is the wrong episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... What do you guys think of the lobster? I was I'm actually curious. What was your first reaction to Yorgos? Or was this your first movie of was this your first Yorgos movie? The first one I think I saw was The Lobster. Andrew mm-hmm. doesn't like it. I really like The Lobster. <laughs> yeah. Um I haven't watched it in a while, but yeah, no, I, I really like The Lobster. I, I think it's just impressive when anyone can have an idea that's just so insane and then like make it work you know like something that's otherworldly and like still (laughs) have that flair what'd you say Um, what's insane about it (laughs) come on what's not (laughs) i just love it (laughs) when people have okay so well i've actually been watching a lot of black mirror recently which i'm sure you guys saw on letterboxd but like taking an idea that's something black mirror-esque or anything that's of this world, but not really of this world, and like making that work, and then also being able, it's like sci-fi in a way, but then also having a style on top of that, and not just having it be like sci-fi and that's it, and like told in a normal way, but Mm. they're able to have sci-fi and also Mm. have it be, like have a flair to it, like like that balance, I don't even, it's, yeah, so I really like The Lobster. You guys, well, you you guys will talk about on your pod, uh, lists on Letterbox that you guys admire a lot, and I'll send it to you later. There's this one list that's like movies that could be Black Mirror episodes. I think I saw that actually. It's like Black Mirror yes. or not or something like yeah, that. Right. Yeah. 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 The Lobster would definitely fall into that category. Yeah, I just yeah. I I think for me the Lobster just got too weird. And that's just, that's all I can really say is it was an interesting concept, but then I think like halfway through is when it just took a turn that I really wasn't expecting. Do you think and it's when, when David went into the forest? Yeah. 
Yeah. Ab- abs- I mean, absolutely. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, yeah. <laughs> that's where I was lost, and I was like, mm, not sure if this movie's for me. I think it took me two days to even finish it. <laughs> yeah. I think it, if it shows anything, um, completely different character for Rachel Weiss as opposed to Sarah. Oh, yes. I think so. Mm. The ending um, of The Lobster is great, though. No one can argue that. I think that, and, and we won't spoil it, but I think the ending had me thinking for days. Like, shit. <laughs> the ending is great. I'm not going like- to a diner. Nah. <laughs> um, but was, Andrew, was that your first Yorgos movie? Was that, was The Lobster? Think, Did I, you see The Lobster before? You know what? I think I'd have to track my letterbox, but I'm pretty sure I watched The Favorite before The Lobster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because yeah, that's a different vibe. That's that's yeah. I don't I couldn't imagine that because yeah I don't know because the favorite is you would think if you saw the favorite first you're like okay this is your ghost this is his movies and then you see the lobster and you're like oh I guess there's something there's something different and that would yeah because those expectations would be yeah they would be uh, abrasive if you. If, with the, how hard of a turn the lobster takes in comparison to the fab, do, do you? Am I the only one who calls it the favorite sometimes? Because I think I heard someone say that, and I've yeah. just been calling it the favorite ever since. So well, I just know it's the British spelling, so I just yeah, call it favorite. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we've all been doing it wrong, and you're you're the one. You're the genius. <laughs> no. I am not a genius. Uh, I, mean, I just like how it is. It's just so fancy. <laughs> yeah, what the stuff. Like, I really need to know, like, why? Huh? Why, why, okay. <laughs> why do they have the U, and why don't we have the U? Well, because I think they probably had also... the U first, but we didn't. But we decided not to have the U. What's going on? I think. It's because Emma Stone is the only American in this cast. So it might have something to do like this is a very non-American movie. Oh, no, no, I get that. No, I'm saying like the word in general. Why do why do we like we use favorite with no U? Why do the Brits use it with a U? What's going on? Because they're fancier. I Do you want me to yes, have an that's answer? Actually the answer? I don't know. Do you have an answer? Well, I no. I guess they're just fancier. All right. Just ask are, are, the, are these the things that keep you up at night? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. I love, it. That, I love it. And Daredevil comics. Oh, yeah. I'm wearing I'm a Daredevil suit. Yeah. That's how it was originally spelled, and then somewhere along the line, like, we just dropped it in spelling. That would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. That's we don't need this. I just I feel like that's feel such like an American move. Guys, we could lose the letter, right? We could, we that's could an lose American it. way. It's like it's like the metric versus standard measurement. Like, oh, we need it. we're the only fuckers who use standard. Like, and, and we call it standard too because we're such we're such assholes. But every other country uses metric because we're like we need. Oh no, we're different. We need to be American. We're quirky. God. We are quirky. <laughs> we are quirky. That is true. And another and a, and something else that's quirky is the favorite. It's a very mm. quirky movie. Love it. Love it. Um. You were talking about, Jack, you are talking about Emma Stone's the only American in this film. Yes, you. Um, what did we think of her accent? 
I, I don't think it is distracting enough to be like, oh, what? No. She, she's doing a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she is someone that is proven to be committing to roles that are not only challenging, but that she can that she's ready to prepare for like this isn't this isn't don Cheadle in oceans 11 <laughs> level kind of kind of like scrutiny <laughs> of a of the british uh dialect so i yeah i i'm really impressed i i especially I, love this yeah. role as a uh a la la land follow-up role <laughs> like i know it's not like battle in the sexes battle of the sexes was in between this and that mm. but i kind of like battle in the sexes kind of like doesn't exist a little bit so I kind of consider this. Interestingly. This is um, a good movie we forget about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think her accent's good. And I think the reason why... Or maybe not good, but it's fine. And it could have been a lot worse. It could have been pretty horrible. And I think the smart move that Yorgos and Emma make is... We'll just... Add, it's just... It's, it's almost barely an accent. It, like, her voice doesn't change too much. She just kind of... There's just a small sprinkling of British... And I think, and it it were it's just enough to make it that it to make it feel like, of course, yeah. So she's British, but it's not too much to make it distracting or horrible. Mm-hmm. I think it's just it's a small little adjustment to her voice, and I think it works. I think that's smart because a lot of these time, a lot of the times, you'll just in these like period dramas, some of these American actors just fucking butcher it. <laughs> It's like, oh, Emma's doing a thing. Yeah, it would have been. It could have been so bad, mm-hmm. honestly. But it's good. It's what good. if everyone else tried to do American accents, and like just they just didn't tell Emma? <laughs> that would have been weird. It like Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, Chernobyl's different because it's a completely different language. But still, it would have been just like, no, we're Americans, and this is Queen Anne of England. Like just speaking completely American accents, that would be fucking wild. It would be wild. Mm. Um, trying to think. I uh, don't even have thoughts. Score is great. Sound design's great. Yeah. Um, uh, Check that box. Ooh, do we have what do we, we think of the um? What do we think of the portion of? I guess, what am I trying to say? What do we think of the portion of uh, Rachel, like, of the poisoning? Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. What do we think of the poisoning of uh, Sarah? Like, did were you surprised when that happened? Like, where you're like, oh, wow, Abigail's taking, like, a sharp turn? Or did it feel in character? It felt like the natural progression in actions. I feel like, on one hand, it was shocking, but I also think that just script-wise, you definitely needed that kind of climax where, like, something big happens. So just, like, coming from a screenplay lens, like, you needed that. Um, But I don't feel like... Like, I do think I was a little bit shocked because it didn't seem like she would... All of her things up to this point, like, seemed a little bit more subtle. Like, she was kind of acting like she wasn't manipulating, and then suddenly it's, like, so obvious that she's like have a strategy um but I think after that event happened then you kind of saw her backtrack a little bit how she kind of got worried about where she was and stuff so then I think she came back to her character a little bit more 
but I just think it, it needed it in the screenplay. Like you just needed that big event to happen regardless of what you thought the character would do. Mm. That's how I it. What about you, Andrew? Oh, anytime I like thinking about that scene, my mind goes somewhere and I'll tell you why it's because that whole scene when she's getting poisoned and getting dragged on the horse you also have that whole scene with the the man who looks like James Corden and he's nude and he's getting all these pomegranates thrown <laughs> and it's just a very interesting parallel during that time we have well, that's what just that's what the dudes are doing i mean we know what the women are up to obviously but that's <laughs> listen that's even important business uh, it's just, it's just, it's just it's that right. whole yeah, that whole poisoning scene, I think it's so interesting how it was done. And sometimes I'm thrown off with it anytime I see it. But I do think the poison was necessary and how the scene was directed and edited. It was a good job. Mm. Yeah. I love that well, scene. Oh, wait, go ahead. I was just thinking, just going up the editing of that scene, like cutting back to the man and then the poisoning. They do a lot of interesting cuts in this film where this is kind of on a little bit of a different topic, but how they cut between like the queen and pain and like moaning. And then like, it'll show Rachel once she's at that house and she's wounded, how she'll be moaning. So it's like, there's a lot of interesting cuts, like paralleling like two different things going on, Mm -hmm. um, which I, but I think that that one was a little bit more of a, like a montage feel um, mm-hmm. and like slow. So it was a little bit different editing, but uh, they do, they tend to do that a lot. Like a lot of parallel cuts. Yeah. Yeah. They do that. They, yeah, they, and I, I'm always, I was always um, this time seeing it second time and noting and like remembering the ending and how it's like a fade in and fade out um, is how like the final shot of the movie I forgot like how that's actually like those fade ins and fade outs are used earlier in the movie, like editing wise, like like that. They like, I think like a few times and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. So they've just, he does have like an interesting editing style. And I think it's consistently with uh, Abigail's face. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That would make, that would make sense. Um, uh, I do love that scene when, so you mentioned like the, James Corden looking motherfucker uh, had those pomegranates thrown at him. Um, and, and like, and how it's cutting back and forth between, you know, Rachel getting dragged on the horse and, um, and that, and it's in slow motion. And then you cut to Abigail walking into the room, like, and she is like, like, she is like a hot shot right now. She has this smirk and swagger to her. She's like, yeah, I fucking did it. And I was, and I, and I really enjoy that scene. I love how Emma carries herself in that. And so it's this in slow motion and the kind of the camera kind of follows her as she enters the room. She looks at everyone like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Huh? I'm, I'm important. Like, isn't, isn't y'all, y'all men are just she, here. Go ahead. I think that's the uh, scene where she's like, hell, I'm sure you will pass through it one day. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> No, 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 it's, um, it's before that. Okay. It's when, like, Rachel is not in the scene. It's when she's, and it's when Abigail's going to Harley and saying, hey, I need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, since I cook, took, uh, Sarah out of the picture, this is what you need to do. It's and good she has this, like, this. power to her. 
and it's and she just looks and she just walks into this room while all these men are just throwing pomegranates randomly at this guy and they're having a ball and he's like what the f-? like what are you guys doing you boys like you know you're playing games i am playing fucking chess i am you know crazy <laughs> i'm move i am making these moves for power i am like i am the like I'm the right hand to the Queen of England. Y'all are, you know, y'all are just playing these little games, mm-hmm. and it's like this. It's the switch of the character. It's she's so so much more confident now, and also like, and she just like manhandles Harley and saying, "You're gonna do this for me, or I'm gonna make sure your life is a living fucking hell with mm-hmm. the Queen." You know, this is I'm this is I'm not. Or it's here like to she's negotiate. always had the You're confidence, but me. she's always had confidence, but now she has leverage. Because it's like I have no competition. My only competition is like Abigail, and um, that's that's the only real thread that she has to worry about. I also love um, speaking of like just background actors that stand out. Um, there's this like little boy with like a big wig um, that's like in the background of when they're shooting. <laughs> that I oh my god I cannot tell you guys the tears I shed of laughter once I saw him um just like he's such a small man and, and like a big big wig it's like too big for his body it's so funny oh man um yeah it gets me gets me i don't know why just you know. mm, yeah am i not um, I'm gonna stuff. you guys know what i'm talking about well which well which there's the one who throws the pigeons i believe so he's in those scenes at least he could be in the background like just as like an observer, I suppose. Yeah. No, I I, I think there's a few of them, so I'm not I'm not sure exactly the, which one you're talking about. Mm. I didn't notice it. Um, I'm not crazy. There is a little man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Of course there is. Whatever you say. Um, I want to. A question I was thinking about, especially during like the third act, is whose side am I on? Because this is a movie of sides. You know, like I, you know, they're everyone's taking. You know, like Harley says he's on the side of the people. You know, Anne is on this, like, a, you know, Queen Anne is trying to figure out like who she is, and you know, she's trying to make these decisions. She wants to be loved. She's on her side. Um, you know, uh, Sarah says she's on the side of the people, but you might, but she seems very manipulative and gets. I like. I, I feel like there's just different and um there's a line that um abigail says says i'm not on your side i am on my side and sometimes like sometimes you're lucky enough that my side aligns with yours and that's paraphrasing that's not the exact line and i'm just thinking of whose side am i on am i on anyone's side which one do i kind of like i'm not necessarily rooting for but who do i think it maybe is more in the right or who i think is making the better judgment or decisions and I think there's two parts of me, one logically and emotionally. I think logically I'm on Harley's side because the idea of him having to deal with all this political bullshit and how he's trying to do, like he is trying to get some legislation done and like further the country while and like while there's this huge like squabble, like this romantic squabble and triangle between Abigail, Anne, and um, Sarah. While he's actually trying to like lead the country, and he's trying, and he uses that towards manipulation. But emotionally, I'm with Anne because she's lost so much. She just wants to be loved. She, you know, she is tired of being, 
insulted and she feels like she is viewed lesser than and she has nothing to do she doesn't know what to do she's lost in this world of grief and um and she just wants love love compassion and kindness but everyone views her as this problem and mm. someone as this broken person um and I it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy kinda kind of like uh ends up being the point that you're mm. so conflicted um that's that's also the conflict that Anne finds herself in with the um the choice between logic and emotion hmm. should we go in a favorite scene oh i was gonna curious oh i but i was kind of trying to propose the question of whose side or each of you guys is on if there is a side i'm always on emma stone's side <laughs> <laughs> i also just I know we're supposed to feel bad for the queen in a way because, you know, they're like, she's being manipulated and she's like, she can't walk or do anything really. But I just like, don't really feel bad because it's, she's just kind of, I don't know. Like, it's kind of like, open your eyes. You're the queen. Like, come on. It's so, I don't know. I'm always with Emma Stone just because I like her. I think she's kind of the underdog in the beginning. So you're rooting for her. And, and I, don't, I don't know. I like Emma Stone. I don't really do you never lose, to it. I just like her. Do you never lose sympathy? For Emma? Not really. I'm always going for her. Because she just, she knows what she wants. She's going to get it. And yeah, I'm I'm just, I'm for her. Yeah. The whole time. Back see the moment. You got it. See the moment I, because I agree with you for most of the film. I'm on Emma's side. She's been, you know, she's been. You know, all these people like, insult her and, again, like, treat her as lesser than. And she's been treated horribly all her life. She's finally getting back control and doing what she needs to do. And, of course, she's going to manipulate the process to her goals. But why shouldn't she? You know, she everyone, all these people are so superior or acts are more superior uh, to her that why can't she just fuck them over? But the moment I'm not on her side is when she when she puts her foot on the bunny rabbit is when she wants mm. to hear it squeal. That's when I'm like, oh no, this has corrupted you. This yeah. whole process and environment <laughs> has corrupted you. Um, but also the first time I saw it, I was on Rachel Weisz's side. So it, it's weird. I'm like all yeah. over the place. Oh, yeah. And I think that's the Absolutely. goal of this movie. Yeah. But at, but now watching it the second time, I'm like, she, like, she says, like, she excuses her insults and her abrasiveness for in the sense of she's being honest and that's what love is. But some of the things, it's just like, that's not what love is. That's a toxic relationship. And also, you yeah. also manipulate her. You're not holier now. You also know how to manipulate her by using, like, her love and her lust for your own advantage. You try to get out ahead, and maybe you're doing it for some higher motive of your people or your husband or, you know, the country, and you think you know what's best for the for the future of the country, but... You're as just as manipulative and kind of nasty as Emma, maybe even more so. Um, yeah. What about you, Andrew? Whose side are you on? Huh? I'm on my own side. Always. Independence. But I, I mean, I, I think it's hard to pick a side, like you all said. Mm -hmm. It's just every character has their own motives, and you sort of feel for them at times, and other times you don't. And I think that's the beauty of watching it is like 
you're gonna have different opinions of characters each time. I definitely the second viewing paid more attention to Abigail than I did. I feel the first time where I might have paid a little more attention to Queen Anne. So maybe next time I'll pay more attention to Sarah. What about you, Jack? I think I've already talked about it. Have you? Right. Who's uh-huh. to say? Well, just... um, yeah, I'm with Andrew. No, I just I switch. I flip flop. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, I think that's the point that uh, ultimately both women prove that they are valuable in their own rights. That not I think as morally bankrupt uh, Abigail becomes, it's never it's never something of unlikability. So it's not like um, it shows uh, Sarah as the clear favorite. Ha ha. Yeah. A lot of puns. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess that's kind of all I wanted to really say. Um, I think it's a great movie. Uh, um, I actually, I, I liked it a lot more. I mean, not a lot, but like, I liked it much more this time around. Or not, I don't know. I liked it more. That's what I'm trying to say. Me too. Um, it moved up in my list for sure. Like 2018, like it moved in, like it was in just right outside my top 10 and it's in my top five right now. Mm. I, I really dug it this time. I just, cause I just, I forgot how entertaining it really was. Like, I mean, it is just like a welly, it's just a really well-made movie and really well-structured, well-written, um, well-edited, but it's also just really an easy watch. I mean, it is like a nasty movie, but it's so entertaining and enjoyable. Mm. Um, yeah, and I really appreciated Coleman even mm. more this time around, and I already loved her performance. Um, yeah, there's there's this background noise. I am not sure what is happening. I think that's me. Yeah, you might want to yeah. mute yourself for a minute, Jack. Oh, is it that bad? Um, no, it's getting better. Never mind. You're fine. <laughs> Wow, it's a bummer. Um, yeah, it's fine. Um, Should we get into favorite scene? I guess so. I mean, yeah. I, I, unless do you, Sally, Andrew, do you have anything else you you want to point out before we get into favorite scene? Let's go for it. Do it. Um. Okay. Who has who has one? Just like right off the bat. I'll do it because it was my box review. <laughs> my favorite. My favorite. Abigail's important matchup. It's just the best scene at all. I just like it. Say that one more time. Oh, you didn't hear me? Sorry. My favorite scene, it was in my letterbox review. It's the one where Abigail and Masham are in the forest and they like finally like I guess get together. I just think it's so fun and it's funny. I don't care. You guys think I'm weird. No, I don't. It's a great scene. I, I, I'm laughing it more is. at the idea of the scene itself. I think mm-hmm. it's just so... And I love how Emma really, like, just gets under this guy's skin where he cannot stop thinking about her. Also, it's, you know that scene's uh, probably so funny to film. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's, it's almost like um, Saoirse and Timmy in Little Women energy. Yeah. Same idea. Um, 
my favorite scene is also with Abigail and a man <laughs> when uh, Nicholas Holt has that monologue about favoritism. Mm-hmm. I think that that just like has a nice rhythm to it. It's really well lit, and there's not much nighttime in the favorite, and um, <clears throat> and then it ends with just like <laughs> Abigail getting shoved, and uh, yeah, it's just really funny. What about you, Andrew? Um, well, I kind of said it earlier, so I'll kind of do two real quick. Uh, the first one is the the pellet gun scene where Abigail says, I know your biggest secret. Mm-hmm. My second one would be a shout out to my boy Horatio, the duck. <laughs> He's a good duck. How did I know you were going to say that? <laughs> He's high up there in the power just... rankings. He's a very power pl- big power player. You know who's the fastest duck in England. Exactly. <laughs> I heard I, I heard that somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, yeah, that's what all that's the guys what, are doing. We gotta we gotta get to the bottom of this. I love they have a it's fucking duck race. The fastest duck. So race. funny. They had it's nothing so else funny. to do. <laughs> it's what, very a quarantine movie. It's kind of a quarantine movie with all the weird games they play. Like there's at one point that um, especially with Queen Anne locked in her room all the time and just doing random shit. She was, like, playing cards. Like She was, like, playing solitaire. It's kind of a quarantine kind of movie. They just, like, stay inside yeah. and do nothing. Um, yeah, my favorite scene. I don't know, honestly. I, I might go with, the like, basically the con- um, with Abigail confronting Harley after he's throwing these pomegranates at that dude. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to think. Or, you know what, no, like, I think Rachel Weiss just, like, going fucking ham on Harley so much, though, that he can't, like, he, like, kicks over a tray, and, <laughs> like, and, like, he's so fucking mad. He gets up in her and face. He, he yeah. does, and it's yeah. so cool, like, and Rachel is just like, I'm not having any fucking this. You want to go, man? You want to go- fucking go, bro? Like, we'll go. And it's so intimidating, and it's, like, actually, like it's it's so entertaining and grossing i love also he like he wa- he storms out of the room and um uh, the prime minister or whatever he says you know the only uh, the man can only take so much of his pr- um a hurt on his pride or whatever and rachel Weiss says well a, a girl a, a girl wants to have fun and, this is I, and absolutely i just not like oh, the least so boring movie it truly it's like so, it's like wildly bored um and it's a quick two hours too it's I quite mean, it's, thing. It's yeah. like quite. It's like just under um, two. It's like one fifty eight or one fifty nine or whatever. But like, it's really. It's, it's, it's around two. It's around two. It's around. Um, I said. I said right under. Don't. You know, it's don't, right under. It's right. There. Right. Right. Just like just a little bit. Just like, it's like a right. tiny bit. Just, we got two, and there's just, that. You know. Yeah. Just like a little tiny. Just a little tiny bit. Um. Uh. Yeah. No. I think it's a. I think it's a great movie. Um. Yeah. I love. I. I loved it this time around. I mean, I really. I really dug it the first time. I loved it this time around. Um. Yes. Yeah. Uh. This is our second Yorgos movie. This is it one is of the few Yorgos. directors that we've covered twice. It is. That's we right. Ryan Johnson. Uh. Is there anyone else? What about Ryan Johnson? We did, we've only, he's like one of the, I think he's only the other. Oh, right, yes, we've done, done two Ryan Johnsons. Yeah, oh, crap. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, then they're the only two two-timers. Hey. Okay. Well, yeah. 
Another two-timer is Sally Dar Griffin. Yeah, hey, SDG herself. Yes. Sally Dar, where can <laughs> everyone find you on the internet? Good transition. Right um, That's right. Sally Dar, Sally Dar Griffin, pretty much everywhere. I'm the only person named that in the world, so I'm pretty easy to find. Is that true? Yeah. I don't know. I think so. Maybe. It's a name. I think some people have Dar as a last name, and their first name might be Sally, but I'm the only Sally Uh, Dar Griffin. Nice black. Dar, your middle name? I'm everywhere. What's what's this? It is. It's my middle name. So I'm from Tennessee, so double names are a really big thing in the South. So Dar, I think at some point was a last name and then it was just a lot of people's middle names. And so they made it my middle name, but I'm the first person to actually like call, like instead of like Mary Catherine, they were like, oh, we're gonna call her Sally Dar. She's gonna go by both. So that's what it is. It's a family name. All right, cool. Well, I've always been curious. So I've now been fulfilled in that curiosity. Yeah. It's a um, common question. <laughs> oh, I bet. <laughs> but, um, Andrew, where can everyone find you on the internet? Ooh, if they want to find me on the internet, they could go to at avanhouston15 on probably the important social medias. So Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd, I'd say. Letterboxd is an uh, important social media. Uh, you guys Absolutely. have... A podcast? Am I reading this right? You guys have a we- podcast that you've had on one of the co-hosts of well, one of, by the way, uh, the co-hosts of Exiting Through the 2010s. We did. That is true. We <laughs> one of. Um. Yeah, it's called C- Club C47, and you can find it on Podbean, Anchor, and Spotify. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Guys might need to complete the set so- soon. I don't know. Just, yeah. Just we were talking. About yeah, that. you can come on. Front. Oh, I can. Oh, wow. Yeah. Seriously. Your invitation. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. I feel so. Oh wow. All right. Let's just end it. Okay, that's it. See you next. Oh no. Wait, I forgot my co-host, Mr. Jack Draper. Where can oh. everyone find you, you handsome hey. nerd? I didn't know I was the co-host, and you're the host. <laughs> I wait. What? That's what. All right. <laughs> Move on. Power dynamics. It's a whole thing. Um, yeah, I'm Jack A. Draper on Twitter, and my rating is on the Simple Cinephile. For those also curious. Very curious. Um, I'm at Clayfilm100. Patent pending. Um, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd. Um, I'm going to try to change that username soon. I keep saying it. I'm going to say it for like five more episodes and I'm finally going to not do it. Um, uh, Just keep it so that it's like a running bit. Just keep it. It's just just so the bit can go. Keep going. Um, You can follow us at ETTPod on Twitter. Um, You can leave a comment, leave a voicemail on Anchor. Uh, remember to rate, review, subscribe. Um, try to stay sane in this weird time that we're all living in. I, I'm, I'll be saying this for a few weeks because I think it's a good reminder. We're all here. We're all here to support everyone. You know, let's just love each other. Let's figure this out. We'll be. We're, we're gonna be okay. It's gonna be a little rough, but we're gonna be okay. 
uh, watch some good movies, talk to a friend, you know, Skype Skype someone who you haven't talked to in a while. How about that? It's a little challenge for you. You know, someone you want to, someone who you're like, you know what? I haven't talked to that person in a while. I want to, I want to get, uh, I want to connect. Um, we're all going to, we're, we're going to be fine. We're going to support each other. We're going to do our best and we're going to get through this. Um, so yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Please stay safe and we'll catch you next time on Exiting Through the 2010s.